podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It, the show that brings you untapped business ideas from successful entrepreneurs. My name is Chris Justin, and I'm here with Ethan Jenny. Ethan, how's it going today? Hey, what's up, man? I'm uh, composting some of my brain uh, today, um, and I guess listeners will see why. But I also just got, I uh, went to like a garage sale, and like a neighbor had, like, they were selling a composting bin super cheap. Those things could be kind of expensive. So I grabbed it, have it in my new house, my, my yard, and having fun. Putting old banana peels in there. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing the same. I restarted mine. I filled up mine maybe six months ago, and I took a little break from composting. And it's cool getting back into it, seeing all the little critters in there, and feeling like I'm keeping stuff out of landfills. Yeah, there you go. And that's a, a perfect segue. So our guest today is Aaron Nesser. He's the co-founder and CTO of AlgaeNet, creating eco-conscious renewable yarns out of kelp one of the most regenerative organisms on the planet. And actually, Aaron and I met nearly 10 years ago. Can't believe it's that long. Uh, when I was building a compost-related business in New York, and he happened to be working for the mayor's office of recycling at Grow NYC, um, which is a project uh, helping to grow a citywide composting initiative. Cool stuff. He's moving on to even cooler stuff. Welcome to the program. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, looking forward to chatting with you. So you're bringing us an idea, landfill mining, that we have not talked about on the show before, but we're alluding to it a little so bit. So that's the um, idea. Okay, That's the idea, exactly. <laughs> the compost is on the mind. In doing the research, we found out that an average American dumps 4.4 pounds of waste per day, and it's estimated that the U.S. produces 7.6 billion tons of industrial waste every year. Huge amount. So my question is, when did you first come across this concept of mining a landfill? I mean, you know, you can go to the dump and you can pick up old car parts and stuff like that sometimes, right? But when did you first come across the idea that like this is something that, that was actively being investigated? Sure. Yeah. So years ago when I was you know, working in, in compost here in New York, you know, learning so much about plastics recycling, metals recycling, organics, textiles, like this whole ecosystem of reuse and recycling. There was a one fact that I'll, I'll never forget it. It's that in an average landfill, there is more aluminum than you find in bauxite that we extract aluminum from. So basically landfills tend to have more aluminum than nature. Well, like we have put, like there's more in there now than if we were to go out and try to mine it. It's just that it's a kind of a different mining process. It's not all directly in the bauxite. It's uh, you know mixed in with you know old right. shoes. The, and stuff yeah, like the aluminum is already aluminum. You just exactly have to to pick up the old shoes and the banana peels and stuff. Got it. Yeah, that's fascinating. And yeah, but yeah, it there's there's certain things that sort of become they seem too inefficient to do. And I think we're trying to figure out nowadays, you know, is it too inefficient not to do it right um, with some of these processes? And it's kind of like, hey, like I just bear, I just accidentally threw away my hard drive with Bitcoin on. Let's go, <laughs> <laughs> let's go in the let's there go in the go. landfill and dig it up, right? I'll, you know, I'll give you a, a few million dollars to do it. Now nah, I don't know, man. That sounds that sounds like, like it. 
yeah. pulling that together and finding the passwords. I don't even know if it's worth our time. Yeah, it's interesting. In, in, in my research, I came across uh, an article, relatively recent headline, Florida County rejects $7.6 million contract for landfill expansion. And I mean, it was actually a close vote. Not a lot of people were voting on it. There was like five people, right? And so it was three to two instead of two to three. <laughs> so it really was close on whether this could happen or not. And uh, it, there is a, a chairman of this commission, Stephen Barry, said he wasn't convinced yet of the project's benefit, was not yet ready to support it. He said that's a positive return. Hypothetically, our county has not had a good history with hypothetical returns on large investments like that. And he also said, at its heart, it's troubling to me. We don't have examples in the state anywhere else or many examples in the state, barely in any in the last 10 years. So I found this kind of interesting, right? Like you have an example, right? Maybe it worked out. And then you have these situations where I think understandably so, uh, you have politicians, community members, whatever, who have to go, okay, I'm putting my faith into this, these projections that are made by this construction company or, you know, whoever's pitching the whole project. And um, I don't want to be the first one to take the plunge totally. into this trash. Totally. You know? <laughs> Looking for stuff. Uh, but that might be part of the problem. I mean, maybe, maybe we're at a tipping point here where if you can get uh, a certain amount of folks and communities to, to actually invest in this, we'll see the returns, we'll see the evidence, and, uh, and it'll start to gain momentum. Totally. Yeah, I think that's a completely reasonable concern that someone has. When you first brought that up, I was thinking, yeah, of course, that some stodgy old dude is, is going to be blocking this uh, new technology that is needed to save the planet, right? That's a common liberal uh, perspective about yeah, anything yes. like this. Stephen Barry yeah. was also quoted in the article as, as saying, I didn't receive a big enough of a kickback. So, <laughs> yeah, <no>. exactly. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. It's not what he said. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it is understandable. A lot of these projects don't pencil out, actually. I mean, even basic construction projects. The costs balloon 1.5x, 2x from from right. the initial plan. The high school across the street has this $80 million project that they're planning to build a new school. And it's just grown by millions oh, of dollars yeah. every year that they're doing it. Oh, it turns out that we, you know, there's a rock slide going on on the, on the hill that we're looking to build it on. So I, I get that. If, you, if, you, if it's going to be that close, that's an understandable objection. The other thing that comes to mind for me when I think about this is there's a... Tremendous disparity in terms of composition of landfills, right? If you're in New York City, the material in the landfill is going to be very different than if you're in rural Alaska. So having a one-size-fits-all processing approach won't work. So we're talking about mining landfills for valuable resources, like metals, they're probably plastic, some other yeah. components, glass. Uh, that you can use for Combustible something else. gases, or was that what you were going to say? Yeah, that's where I was going with it. Is is mm -hmm. some people are talking about extracting value from landfills in the form of capturing energy, landfill waste gas, and that is uh, that's been done in the U.S. There, I think I read eighty or so plants that are doing that. That's a completely different way of approaching this problem. The overall problem being how do we how do we manage landfill waste to extract the most value out of it and, and minimize the amount of harm done to the environment? Two tracks, get the valuable resources back out. And I guess 
you could consider valuable resources to be those metals and another valuable resource is the energy. Methane is methane is most often the gas that's emitted from landfills and that is hundreds of times more I believe it's hundreds of times more powerful of a greenhouse gas. 20x. Okay, thank you. 20x more powerful a greenhouse gas than CO2. So it's really important to keep that out of the atmosphere. And there are literally, I mean, I believe this is a long time ago. We went on the tour of the landfill when I was a young child. And I believe they had like, you know, little mm-hmm. flames, right? To burn off gas to right. control it, right? Even so, it's, but it's just being burned for no reason, you know, nothing productive going on except for, you know, trying to control it. And I, I also heard this recently, like garbage fires are a problem. Like, you know, in landfills, just like you get these like spontaneous fires going on, which sounds like a dystopian future, <laughs> which we are already living in. But yeah, anyways. All right. Let's start thinking about this in terms of, I think we could do an entire episode <laughs> ranting about uh, dystopian futures, et cetera. And I would love to have that conversation with you guys over beers, but Let's let's get into how we would solve this problem, how we might be able to make money off of it. It's a big problem. It's it's intimidating. I think that if someone were trying to get into it, they need to carve off a smaller piece unless you have a lot of experience in process engineering or waste management such that you can take on this bigger chunk. If you're an outsider, I think it's it's too big of a problem to come in and just say, yeah, I'm going to manage your waste to minimize emissions or minimize wasted metals. I mean, I don't want to sound naive here, but I probably do all the time anyway. So, well, I'm just going to say, <laughs> um, I mentioned a book that I like. I, I forget the, the chapter and the sort of nomenclature around it, but it's uh, The Last Safe Investment. I probably mentioned it several times on the podcast already. But Within the book, it mentions a lot of super skills that you can have, right? And how you can you train yourself to do these things and it's going to be valuable in multiple domains. And one of those is kind of like a sort of like a, a like an amateur engineering, which me even saying that Chris is going to be upset um, <laughs> as an engineer, but like a tactic where you can come in and like just like define inputs and outputs and, and essential items. And you can actually understand, you know, how, how to do something, even though you're not an insider um, an example that's given in the book is somebody who's they're, they're working for a cell phone company and they say, we need this many towers, you know, within this, this city, within this amount of time. And he doesn't actually know anything about it. So he says, okay, we'll do that. Whereas everybody else who knew something about it was like, <laughs> good luck, right? But he was able to pull it off by kind of understanding the basics of how things work just as deep as he needs to go um, and then figuring it out. So just to say, you know, sometimes outsiders come in and they're they're able to bring some fresh perspective. Fair, fair put, point. Put fair that point. out there. I, I guess I was going to just add on, like, this isn't a business that I'm trying to get into. It's, it's, a, it's a cool thing, but it intimidates <laughs> the hell out of me. And it's like, I hope, hopefully this conversation can sort of, you know, galvanize one person out there to say, like, I'm gonna, I am going to give this a shot. I know a little bit about landfills. So... Let's assume that you are in the table, mm-hmm. at the table, and you are trying to figure out how to tackle this. The first obvious idea that comes to mind is let's figure out how to get this aluminum out of landfills. We talked about there being more aluminum as a percentage than uh, than there is in a bauxite. 
maybe it is just that simple of, hey, let's just focus on aluminum. Let's figure out how you can do it. Maybe you concentrate on landfills that have a higher concentration of aluminum even than the average one. And you'd have to maybe do a mass balance <laughs> to figure out if the math would pencil out. You'd have to figure out your costs of excavation and how much you could sell the material for. But that exercise is is probably something that a college student can do in a weekend, right? That for for their chemical engineering homework, you can you right. can do that. Maybe you can get a professor to partner with and, and get them to assign that, and <laughs> you don't even have to do the math yourself. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Now, can you guys, can you guys explain? I know this this topic came up before the episode uh, of a mass balance, uh, which I think we might as well like define it in loose terms because I think it's a, it's interesting thing that seems like both of you are familiar with the idea. What what does a mass balance mean in, in sort of layman's terms? I mean, I'm going to toss this to the engineer in the room. <laughs> yeah, Chris is the one. He's sure. throwing it out. So I want to know, like, just generally what it is. I mean, we don't have to do any math, but, like, why do you need to do a mass balance and, and what kind of information do you need to uh, to do that? Yeah, um, a mass balance is a, it's a fundamental concept in chemical engineering where it's really just balancing the inputs and outputs that you have, right? If you, um, people can think about that if you're building a cake, right? That's one cup flour and this much milk and et cetera, and it yields X number of cupcakes. So that is a, that's a mass balance. Okay. Um, so, so it's kind of like, doing is this also like stoichiometry? Like, is that? Yeah, is it's that, a stoichiometric right? math, mass balance. So it's is, just like when I say I put in the carbon and I put in the oxygen. Now the other side, I get carbon dioxide. And then, yep. but the, the molecular mass on both sides should make sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And in, and in this case, I, I don't we're think that saying... you explained that simpler than that. Uh, you understood the stoichiometry component, but to put, I mean, to put it simply, is just like the, compo- the individual components. You have one side, like the inputs and the outputs, and you need to balance uh, balance them because in a closed system, you're not creating mass nor are you destroying mass. Right. Uh, I put in ten so. tennis shoes and three aluminum cans and. <laughs> get out. All right, but these, yeah, it's sort of getting your getting your getting your hands dirty in terms of like pencil and paper can be a part of the process of getting started. Yeah, so we've got like yeah. get involved with the government, get your hands dirty in terms of pencil and paper, or collaborate with someone who's excited about doing math and and uh, and engineering part of it. Yeah, yeah, I'll just take thirty more seconds to throw out some fake numbers to help maybe help better visualize this. Let's say a landfill is. aluminum, and there are 100 tons in it. So you have 5 tons of aluminum as the input. You have to process 100 tons worth of material. There's a cost to processing 100 tons worth of material. As an output, you get 5 tons of aluminum, and that has a value. And ideally, the value of that 5 tons of aluminum is higher than the cost of processing the 100 tons of trash. Right, right. And which is a good, which is a good segue into, like, uh, strategies for monetization. Because, like, as I, as I was researching this as well, it's kind of like um, there's not a lot that will say, "Hey, you can do this cost effectively just for the cost of the raw materials." You know, as though you were an aluminum mining facility or an aluminum production facility, right? 
And so what's being thought of is maybe you'll actually also be part of like the processing of the material and the usage of the material even. Like maybe you could start a business that people get excited about where, you know, you're making bicycles, you know, they're trash cycles or something like that, right? I, I don't know if aluminum is good for making. I, I feel like you can make them out of aluminum alloys or something like that. But anyways, some material, playgrounds, like whatever. You know, I, I, I brought up aluminum because that's like, that's a you know high value commodity right now, but you know of course there's there's also steel, there's also plastics, and one thing which I I don't quite understand uh, the details of, but uh, apparently 40, 50, 60 years ago, you know as we were processing metals, there were all these different byproducts, and those byproducts are landfilled, were landfilled, and they're actually useful today in electronics. Mm, we didn't realize that they were going to be totally, useful. and it's like. Oh man, like what if we had like thought about this and said, okay, well, we don't think it's valuable now, but maybe let's like, let's put it all over here in the landfill and we, maybe we can dig it up someday in the future. And that's like, you know, how the plastics, plastics recycling economy is just like bottomed out lately. I'm think I keep thinking, you know, eventually there are going to be, you know, shortages of oil. If you want to start your own podcast, head over to transistor.fm slash run and get 15% off your first year of podcast hosting. You know, eventually plastics are going to be in higher demand. Create your own little mine. You can cover it up with dirt, exactly. whatever you want. But no, hey, we can go back here right. and, and dig this up. Yeah, it's That's like an bank. interesting. It's not a landfill. This is a, it's a materials bank. And you know, you're you're putting it in the bank, assuming that you know, saying, okay, well, this asset isn't worth much, but maybe in the future it will be. It's it's like Dogecoin. Yeah, that's it. Way in the beginning. Your <laughs> <laughs> nice. plastic is, and it's like maybe. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about this recently. Nice. I'm reading a book called Ministry for the Future by Kim Stanley Robinson. It's considered cli-fi, climate fiction, and. You would think that it would be depressing getting into it, right? It just like what happens in 2040 when we're on the path that we're on. We already get these terrible wildfires in California and Oregon is 100 degrees. What's it going to look like in 2040? So he goes through that. But one of the frameworks that has stuck with me from the book is the idea that we are doing things right now that are essentially stealing from the future. Like People have talked about this in, in other ways, but... You would never, in let's say in 2040, throw out some of the things that we're throwing out, let's say food scraps or plastics, because it would be ridiculously damaging to it. It is obvious. damaging to the environment. It would be obvious, though, would in be the moment. So obvious, right. it would be much more obvious as the entire world is burning down that that is a problem. And to Aaron's point, in 2040, it's likely going to be cost-effective to recover those materials and use them in another way because governments will be so motivated to process that and keep them from... That's exactly emitting. it. And it's like, maybe that's space that, you know, we can reclaim the materials and then put housing on, on top. You know, it's right. like putting a housing on top and of a landfill isn't the, the best place to live, but you know, we've done it so many times in our history and uh, it sort of snowballs. Like once you start extracting resources and looking at a landfill as a, as a resource rather than a liability. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 you know, 
let's let's look at some examples of things that are working well in terms of I mean, we've already mentioned the grow nyc initiative and and some things like that but i've in my research in the past i keep coming across a, a company called recology which again we might have mentioned on the, on the show previously but it's a it's a pretty uh, well recognized successful operation waste management operation looks like they have customers in california oregon washington it's like one of those businesses where it's like oh i wanted to feel good about waste management but i don't find any thing that's actually working, right? And and what it seems like they, they have some successful methodologies. So it might be interesting to kind of reach out to organizations like that. Uh, they do some interesting partnerships with folks. They even do art artist residencies at Recology. Like you can go there and you can make garbage out of art or do whatever kind of interesting project you want to do. And um, you'll have some sort of a grant or something to to do your to do your work. But it's it's worth investigating because there are organizations that have successfully you know found a way to do things that others still haven't yet right like they're they're fresh new ideas just like this commissioner chairman who um, was saying I haven't seen examples right here's an example of, of totally. something that's and working. I I mean just to sort of add on I immediately started thinking of TerraCycle which in a lot of ways is doing what we're talking about with a little bit of foresight built in you know, there's all these different products that can be, you know, TerraCycled stuff that doesn't fit into the, into today's recycling infrastructure, but they say like, oh, we'll, we'll take it and, you know, we'll figure out what to do with it later. And, you know, it's like, well, we can make something out of it, find, find something that works. Like that's, that's like the kind of attitude. Most often I see their label on chip bags, like potato chip bags, which example of because it's a film, is really challenging to recycle. And pretty much across the board, it's not recycled. But it can be terracycled. So the idea is, you know, you save these bags, you put them in a, a free mailer, and then you send them to TerraCycle. And their promise is that they'll find something to do with it. Yeah, that's awesome. I've never heard of that. I'm definitely going to... Yeah, it, it also for that. <laughs> it also it's like an interesting problem solving strategy when you think about quote unquote landfill mining or like garbage mining, right? So oftentimes when problems are presented in a very complex way, it's hard for us to wrap our heads around a solution, right? But if you try to like envision, well, what would make this simpler? What would make this easy, right? And if you ask yourself that question and you go, oh, well, we'll make it easier if it actually wasn't in the landfill, you know? And if you're sort of brainstorming with someone, they'd be like, okay, well, that's a stupid idea to pursue, right? I said, oh, let's talk about it a little bit further. What if we got it from their house before, right, before it got to the landfill? Then we wouldn't have to worry about mining it out. So in a sense, what you're talking about is a form of landfill mining in the fact that these things would be going to the, to the landfill, uh, but a way of intercepting them and sort of taking them out of that yeah. waste stream has been created. Totally. And it, it takes out all the effort of sorting it. Always appreciate a chance to say the second law of thermodynamics is that the entropy of a system always increases. So yeah, it's as you are, uh, after it's combined, it's way harder to, to process than if you can prevent that. Exactly where my mind's going. I wanted to go down that track in one of the examples that's that uh, people know a lot about our plastic bag production at grocery stores. Even introducing, let's say, a $0.07 fee to the cost of a grocery store bag has cut usage at grocery stores by 50%. And that's happened in multiple cities across the United States. 
something so simple. So I really do think I agree with where you guys are going with this, that we need to keep things out of the landfill more so than trying to recycle or reprocess things in the landfill. There is a, I forget the law, the name of the law, but the more efficient you make something, the more people do it. Jevons, Jevons Paradox. Jevons Law. Yeah, Jevons yeah. Paradox. That's exactly right. <laughs> I love right. that one. <laughs> Man, that's, nice job. Yeah, Jevons Paradox. That's exactly right. And, and uh, I guess the most often cited example of that is the U.S. highway system, right? There's all this congestion. People couldn't get around. So we built more highways. Turns out people are driving way more as a result of having more highways out there. So making landfill processing easier and making people feel better about it could have the paradoxical effect of people saying, all right, well, whatever, I'll just throw that out because I know that it's going to be handled on the back end. Mm, why? Yeah. And then hmm, does the reverse somehow making landfill processing more, even more difficult? <laughs> yeah, you, you club a baby seal to death every time you go out of the field. That'd be super effective at, there you go. at, nice. at preventing yeah. it. One in, one out. You have one to in, watch a, a video of it. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. non-skippable a, YouTube ad of uh, exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's uh, the name so of this business. That, it's I called wanna, One In, One Out. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to put some numbers to that. There's this the website called Drawdown.org, which I've talked about a couple times on the on the podcast. It rank orders the tactics that we can use as a as a species to uh, minimize the effects of global warming. And the number one thing on the list, you guys have a guess. Right, reduce reduce the consumption is probably something, right? It's or flying in an airplane. Re I don't know what was it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the waste. options are. So, <laughs> reducing well, food yeah. waste. Yeah, reducing oh, food waste is the number one way to minimize uh, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. It is forty times more impactful than reusing landfill gas, which is also on the list. So, yeah, if you can keep food waste out of landfills, then you're going to make a huge difference. In the U.S., approximately 35% of food is thrown in the landfills. That's a lot of food. Mm -hmm. So, right, right. It's, it's one of the heaviest components. And it's also responsible for, well, where's the methane in landfills come from? It's, it's that food, you know, decomposing. And one of the other, like, crazy things about r really sort of nitty-gritty of landfill mining is in landfills, as, as all that stuff is breaking down, you get soil. So one of the first things landfill miners do as they're getting started is to trommel or like sift out all of the soil. And it's like you can get a, in some cases, get a, a useful soil amendment there. But in general, though, like with plastics, especially, all of that soil is just a contaminant. So it, it makes the like plastics harder to recycle. I mean, that's like another example of just like, let's just not add this to the landfill and like it'll make future mining operations more successful. Right. You know, it, it's interesting um, to, to kind of delve into a little bit about what goes on when people are doing the land landfill mining. Part of the benefit of it is unfortunately, and maybe this is to Chris's point, it makes more space for yeah. landfill. So that's, that's one of the things people say, Oh, we won't have to create a new landfill space. We're going to use some of this existing landfill space uh, to create a new landfill. So again, when I say that out loud, having read it as an objective of doing this, that's supposed to be sort of cost effective. It does beg the question. Okay. Right. So we're just making more space for people to put the crap in there again. 
but it's important to understand kind of what the inputs and outputs here. You know, Chris and I were just saying this off off air the other day about how, you know, the pandemic is over, right? And it goes back to what we were saying about there will be a time in the future when things are imminent and the value of doing them will be obvious, right? And you could see that happening with the pandemic, right? You know, a, a politician would not, you know, create a rule around masks or something like that until it was almost too late that, that you know, the exponential growth of, of the spread of it became so obvious that they had to make that change. And so we're sitting at a very interesting moment right here, like basically post-pandemic. There's certainly a lot of things that could prove to be still dangerous about the, the virus, but but it, it almost feels like, ah, oh, it's time to sit back and relax and, you know, like whatever, like uh, make a million dollars on Bitcoin or whatever. And, 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 and I think it's really important you know, along the lines of what you're saying, Aaron, is some of these ideas are not going to feel profitable in the short term, right? But the math works out, right? Or it's really obvious long term. And maybe what you need to do for these is find the align with those partners who think a little bit more, you know, with the um, with the prefrontal cortex as opposed to the limbic system when it comes down to investing in projects, right? So just just an interesting thing that I think it should be on everybody's mind right now, even though we think we're off the hook. We're, we'll be on another one probably pretty soon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we got plenty of hooks. All right. Let's, let's give Aaron some time to get to his next call here. Tell the listeners what AlgeNet is and whether you have any cost action for them to be able to help support the mission. Totally. So this is the longest I've gone without talking about the company in, in years. But so, so AlgeNet, we're creating a sort of all-in-one climate solution for fashion companies. So fashion is one of the most polluting industries on earth. And the largest portion of that negative environmental impact, anywhere from 50 to upwards of 70% of that impact just comes from the materials they're made out of. And there's been some innovations in different spaces, but it's like, if you really want to make a difference, it's got to be materials. And so we're focused on biosourced. So we source from kelp, one of the fastest growing organisms on earth, and uh, use a non-toxic process, use infrastructure that's already been built to make the material. And then what we create is biodegradable, marine degradable, compostable. It's sort of like able to tick the box at every stage of the life cycle. And we're, we're getting to a point where now we're looking at how do we scale this technology up? How do we get this into the hands of brands, into the hands of consumers? To do that, first thing in sort of the near term is we're going to be opening up a new funding round. But if you happen to n not be an investor, you know, check us out online. We have an amazing Instagram feed that not only talks about like some of the challenges we're facing on the world as an industry, but also features some like amazing artwork, artists, awesome work around the oceans, ocean plastic, and, and what we can do to uh, save the world. <laughs> it is the world that we are saving. <laughs> that's, that's the goal of Algen. <laughs> Love it. Well, Aaron, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you very much for talking through this idea and kicking around landfill gas management, landfill waste management, and sharing a little bit about algae. It's been a pleasure. 
The podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.